0: Would you turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, four verses, Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 18 through 21. I remind you, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Let's hear it. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three packs of flour until it was all leavened. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks to you also this morning for the word of God, and we thank you that we live in a land where we have the rights to the pursuit of life and liberty and the free expression of speech and the free pursuit of happiness. And we would be a happy people. We know that happiness and blessedness in the life of the believer comes from knowing God. And knowing his word and we ask, therefore, that you would help us to know your word this morning and thus fulfill. Fulfill our soul's desire. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. You know, a a story regarding a mustard seed is not unique to Christianity. Buddha speaks about uh, mustard seeds. The story is told when a mother loses her only son, she takes his body to the Buddha uh, in order to find a cure. And he says, well, bring a handful of mustard seeds from a family that has never lost a child or a husband, a parent or a friend. When the mother is unable to find such a house in her village, she realizes that death is common to all and she cannot be selfish in her grief. Uh, and that, of course, fits the 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 the, 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 the precise Perspective on life and suffering of a Buddhist—that well, it happens to you all. You need to embrace it and uh, and simply to not be selfish in our expressions of personal grief. Well, if you asked uh, a a Muslim today about uh, about the kingdom of God, they would tell you the kingdom of God is 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 the establishment of countries uh, and and of governments that reign and that wield Sharia law and dominate its citizens and. And they would tell you that the kingdom of God involves guns and bloodshed and the killing of Jews and Christians and atheists and and agnostics and, and unfaithful and or perceived unfaithful uh, Muslims or non-practicing Muslims. That's the kingdom of God, according to them. And yet here in this passage, Jesus doesn't leave us without... Uh, he doesn't leave us with a lack of understanding, but he wants to c- uh, clearly... Uh, explain for us what the kingdom of god is and what it looks like and what its effect upon the world is and what its effects sh- that we should uh, look for two very common parables the kingdom of god is like a mustard seed a man takes and casts into the field well how does he do that maybe he has maybe he has reaped in some way and uh, maybe he has uh, done something that uh, that that maybe he has made some food, and it, there is one particular seed caught in the the little cuff of his of his shirt or his robe and for whatever reason that 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 one little seed is cast out into the field and of course it becomes a great tree and of course we know about mustard seeds, and they are very small they 're not the tiniest of seeds there are plenty of seeds within the entirety of of um, Uh, of of life, of flora and fauna, of of trees and of bushes and of of grasses and all sorts of things. There are much smaller seeds. Uh, We could get into the minutiae of what is the smallest seed, but perhaps the the smallest usable seed in that agrarian society was the seed of a mustard uh, tree or bush. And they grow, we're told, anywhere as high as 8 to 12 feet or if left Untended, perhaps they can grow a little further. Uh, I have uh, a, a pussy willow in my backyard, and and there was a time when it was very very small. And we have neighbors that have not watched it nor cut it for many 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 years. Now it's 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 at least twenty feet high. Well, eighteen feet high. It's grown far beyond its its natural outreach or, or reach. And here is here is a mustard seed, and a farmer goes out into his field. He takes one seed and he casts it out there. And eventually in time, a great mustard bush or tree is formed. Years ago when I had a garden, I've always been fascinated. I've always said if I wasn't a pastor, I'd I'd, I'd, I'd wish to be a farmer. I love the soil. I love to see things grow. It used to be so remarkable to me as a young man to take a little tiny bean seed to put that bean into the ground it's i know it's not a seed it's uh, but but to take that bean and uh, to put it into the soil to add some water and let the sun shine and eventually a green sprout would pop up and it would open and it would form this plant and next thing you know we had beans uh, later on in the year it always fascinated me but it always fascinated me that the next year after fully tilling the ground there were inevitably going to be a, a, another bean plant and another a corn stalk or something else or a little lettuce uh, head that would come up that I had not planted that was left over from the previous years having gone to seed. Uh, certainly some uh, some plants did it or were more prolific about it than others. But here is this thing. Uh, this this There are these homespun illustrations of what the kingdom of God is like. The second one is similar to it, and he says, I shall compare the kingdom of God to leaven. It's, it's that stuff that mom would buy out of the refrigerated section, at least as we know it in the modern world today. And it's in the, the little package with yellow on, on it, and, and it, I think there's red and white, and it says Fleischmann's. Uh, Fleischmann's yeast and and that's what we use today and maybe you use a different variety but but you know what it is you come home and I remember as a child I'd look at this stuff and it would go into the water or whatever into the recipe I would think I don't think it's going to do anything Uh, and yet uh, if left in a pile of flour with water and uh, and very little else uh, it would eventually increase exponentially And Jesus is telling us that's what the kingdom of God is like. What is the kingdom of God? Let's remember what it is as we preached a while back when he mentioned first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is Jesus Christ. It it is Him at work in this world. It is Jesus Christ establishing His reign, ruling over all the affairs of mankind. It is Jesus Christ in power and glory in heaven. It is the establishment of the kingdom of God here in the earth in the very hearts in the minutia of the hearts of men and women and boys and girls from one heart to the next and out of that creating his church. It is the kingdom of the kingdom of God is the advance of the gospel in the world. It is men and women even today. Think about that fact. Someone somewhere will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ today. What a glorious thing to know that Jesus Christ is still at work in our world. And it's not that his work has ever abated. He is about the work of saving souls. He is about the work of proclaiming the the, the name of God. He He is about the work of glorifying His Father. And the Father is about the work of glorifying and lifting up the Son. The Holy Spirit is about the work of bringing Christ to a broken world. Of restoring and of converting and redeeming and sanctifying kingdom of God is anything and everything to do with Jesus Christ and the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the church of God, the church of God is at least one particular agent of God's work in this world. It's not the exclusive agent. God is pleased to work in whatever way he, he deems Worthy. He, he, he will accomplish all his holy will, with or without the church. You and I are simply participants in it. And I hope that you see, even within the context of this passage and, 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 and of these particular wonderful illustrations of what the kingdom of God is like, that mankind really does little. We are instruments, we are agents of God's mercy and of grace in this world, but God is the one who does it all. the eventual watering, the germination of life, the reaping and the harvesting, all belongs to the Lord. All that we really ever do is we serve the Lord faithfully, but we are secondary causes. God alone is the first cause in all things. And he will build his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. What does that statement mean? It It means that hell itself Cannot hold its gates closed against the Church of God in this world, and we see that here in this context, Jesus has just performed a, a miracle. It's not a performance in the in a Hollywood type of thing, but but it's the performance of an actual work. He's placed his hands on this woman, and he has said, "Woman, you are freed from your sickness." She was made erect immediately, and she began glorifying God. In that one tiny instance, in that one individual, do we not see a mustard seed, the tiny influence of leaven? This context is displaying exactly what Jesus says in verses 18 through 21. One woman healed. What, what, what good is that? Don't we, want, don't we really want a worldwide cataclysmic, chaotic movement? Don't we want to see vast numbers of people? Uh, don't we live in an evangelical world that says, according to one of the great leaders of the evangelical church down in the south, a man by the name of Andy Stanley says that churches like this have no purpose for existing and that we are in fact causing you harm by not creating around you a megachurch. He also says he really doesn't believe in the God of the Old Testament either. Quite a few other ridiculous and nonsensical statements. But that's the world we live in. You see, the Andy Stanleys of the world despise small things, but the Lord Jesus Christ does not. So here is this one woman, she is converted, she, well, she, she, she is healed. I believe she was a believer beforehand, but now she sees the glory of God in the face of her Savior and Messiah. One woman, one woman healed. That's that's a mustard seed. And then the Pharisees and their proclamation is this ruler of the synagogue when Jesus heals this woman on the Sabbath and he's angry and he says... Don't come on the, 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 the don't come on the seventh day for healing. Come, come any one of the other six days for healing. And Jesus immediately begins to teach and says, "That this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for eighteen long years, should be, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day?" And all the crowd is rejoicing over the glorious things being done by him. There's that. There's that leaven; it's burgeoning up, and the crowds glorify God. Well, that's the connection to the text. That's the context in which this passage comes to us. And there's a significant connection think- here too. I think, by way of introduction, uh, there's, there's this wonderful demonstration of the, uh, through common, ordinary language, the kingdom of God is like, like the. Baking of bread. The kingdom of God is like planting a small seed in the garden. Isn't there something homely and and delightful and heartwarming about such illustrations where where God comes in in Calvin's language and and he speaks to us in baby talk? I, I need that kind of baby talk. I need to know that my God speaks to me in language that I can understand. And here is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, come and saying, look, the kingdom of God, though this is a lofty principle, and though I know all things, the Father does, and and that, uh, uh, that the Son knows all that the Father is pleased to share with him, I am God and I know all things, but let me make sure that you know this the kingdom of god which we can only you can only begin to understand because i have shared and shown it to you is just like when you cast the smallest seed out into the dirt and it's also just like the bread that you bake the effect of the yeast the leaven i'm so thankful that we have a god who who corresponds in language that we understand and know He's not like the God who men and women for generations sat in churches and heard none of the language in their own language, that the worship that was observed could not be engaged in. The church was corrupt, and those who were in charge were corrupt and filled with sin, contradicted the very word of God in the dark ages of the church, were ongoing for hundreds of years when men and women, boys and girls, could simp- all that they could do was go into a, a building they did not recognize, that they could, would only dirty with their, their feet, brought in from the soil of the fields. They heard language in the worship service they did not understand because it was in Latin. They observed only because there was a metal grate in front. Only the priest could partake of the sacraments. The church would not allow them to have the Word of God in their homes, nor for the Word of God to be read in the vernacular. Dear friends, we need to recognize the privileges that we have here in America, here in our present world, and we need to go home and read our Bibles and to stop treating it like Bible reading as a chore like Bible reading is a hard thing to do. We are to delight in the word of God, to mutter over it day and night, as the psalmist says. To find that we don't live by bread alone, but rather by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of our God. Well, these disciples that were following Jesus needed to understand the significance of what he had just done. He had healed one woman... And he had interacted with and rebuked the ruler of the synagogue in one place, one geographical region, one congregation affected by this. And that's all just a few people. He's making his way to Jerusalem still. But he wants his people to know certain things about the kingdom of God. There are similar illustrations here in this passage, about the outworkings of the kingdom of God. This woman is very much like what Christ does day by day in all the various things that he is doing and the things that he is teaching. And it also proves and shows that Jesus and the power of Christ wrought in this woman's healing, that he himself is an agent of the kingdom creation. He is the one who has been sent into the world to begin to bring about the kingdom of God and its creation in our world. There's also, I think, a, a significant connection between the reactions of this ruler of the synagogue and of the people and of unbelievers in Jesus's generation. And that there are implications here about the work of Christ and the work of the church. What What Jesus did may seem insignificant, but it is not. One person is healed, but it's, its universal implications are significant. He's come to seek and save that which is lost. He's come to heal the broken and the hurting. Christ Jesus in his power can heal you, which is what we said last week. We also need to recognize the opposition, the sheer immensity of what Jesus is up against, could lead observers to conclude that well, the little efforts that we have in the group of 15 or 20 individuals here we are around Jesus, that's not very much. How can we affect, how can we bring about the change this world most needs? I was interacting with a friend last night. I shared something in, in, uh, in, on social media and she she immediately took umbrage and uh, um <clears throat> I had to affirm for her very clearly in no uncertain terms that no, this world does not need the change, the kind of change that we hear about on the news and, and in written form and on radio and all over everywhere that people are discussing. What we need to do is throw out the system and start all over again. What we need is Jesus Christ. What we need is a return to the God of 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 our lives we, what we need is to to be reconciled to that god and to then live in the power of that god and live for that god until the end of our days and then to go to be with that god and to rejoice in him our creator well there are two things in this passage this morning the kingdom of god is like a mustard seed and secondly the kingdom of god is like leaven or yeast firstly The kingdom of God is like it's like a mustard seed. Small beginnings, I I know, I know about small beginnings, and I I also know about uh, beginnings that don't really get a start. Um, Some of us know what things are, what what that means and what's like that, and I'll, I'll return to that thought in a moment, but but. There are no Christians in the world yet, right? At that point, right? Uh, they, they eventually are called Christians after Christ uh, ascends to heaven, but but they are not yet. They will first be called Christians in Antioch, but they are not yet called Christians. They're, simpler, they're simply followers of Christ. There's a handful of disciples around him, twelve men. There are a number of attending women who are providing for him and helping. There are a number of other followers, including this one dear woman who just came to faith in Christ because she was healed by the, the Son of God. It's a tiny little seed, isn't it? What an insignificant following, following. And if we looked at the three-year ministry of Christ, what an insignificant ministry. If, if you judge by worldly terms, maybe 150 people in the upper room in the last day. Maybe. And he's dead. He's in the tomb. Isn't that an insignificant worldly following? It's a tiny seed, one of the smallest, like a piece of dirt. This man throws, this farmer throws that little seed out. It falls into the dirt, doesn't know where it is anymore. He cannot distinguish it from, even if he got a microscope, he could not really have a very, very difficult time discerning, especially if it was covered with dirt at that point be very, very hard to figure out where that little mustard seed was. It's not like what we see. We do big things here in the world, and especially in America. We have hypersonic missiles, and, and we have the L.A. Lakers and the big branding of the New York Yankees that extends into the farthest reaches of the world. We, we have the influence of Kim Kardashian and Hollywood stars and starlets who get their name put on a sidewalk so that everyone will remember them for the rest of their lives or not. We have the political direction of Donald Trump or Joe Biden. We have thousands gathered around the world who ride their bicycles, and we are told it is the fastest growing religion on the face of the earth, the Mormons. But here we are Christians. We are Christians. We follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was in the world and his his. His presence in the world changed the course of human history. And the world has never looked back. The world has never been the same again. There are, at least by numbering, two billion Christians, and I use that term lightly, but two billion on the face of the earth who say that they are Christians, that they are believers, that they believe in and follow Jesus Christ. That's extraordinary. They say that within the next few years that there will be more Christians in the nation of China than there are communists. It's incredible. There are countries in our world who identify as Christian countries. Costa Rica, Denmark, Greenland, England, Ethiopia, uh, Norway, Monaco, Malta, Serbia, Tonga, Zambia, Samoa most of the south american countries are identifying exclusively as christians most of the the lower half of africa is exclusively almost exclusively christian western europe russia north and south america christian uh, I, I know i know we have to be very very careful as to what we what we identify as Bible-believing, Christ-honoring Christians. But it's extraordinary the influence of Christianity on our world today. We are told 230 million people identify in America, 71% as Christians. I think a great portion of them need Jesus Christ because they identify with Christianity only in word. But nonetheless, I'm thankful for the influence of Christ in our world. Yet for all of that grandness and that greatness of what God has done in our world, do we not, do we not look out on the church and say, well, the church is so insignificant, especially, especially Bible-believing churches who love and honor Jesus Christ and who are seeking to worship Him in word and in deed and spirit. We might even look on our own small congregation and say, I'm overwhelmed. Why why would I continue to do this? I'd rather just go to a larger congregation and get lost in the sea of humanity. I won't have to do anything. Nothing will be required of me. No one will have oversight over my life. I can just exist, me and Jesus. Well, you know that Christ has not saved you for that purpose. Some of us as Christians, we, 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 we dream big and we, we long for greater things and we pray for greater things. And we ask the Lord to do remarkable works, things that extend far beyond anything we could even ask or think or imagine. And we want the church of God to grow and to be thriving and, 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 and for God's church to be made full. And yet we have a God who loves the small things, too. The God who does not despise small things, such as congregations like this. Many years ago, I served and began to work and start a congregation and plant a church out in the Berkshires. And that work just it just simply never really took root. And God was pleased to move us down here into Springfield, and we're thankful to be here. And I look back on those years and I think, why did the Lord lead us there? For many years I did, and my family and I were greatly grieved over the work that failed and longed for something different and more, but we came down and we began a work in this area, and the the days were small days and small gatherings on uh, the Howard Johnsons on Boston Road, and yet here we are many years later, and Dear friends are in this congregation who from many, many, many years ago now have grown up and have become part of this congregation. And I can't look back and say, Lord, what were you doing? I I can see it. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary how the Lord uses what seems so insignificant and even failures. And he brings fruit. To bear from it. Because he is a God who has an attention to to small things. He has an eye for small things. And he leads his people out into the world to do small things. That will have a momentous and extraordinary impact. I look at what the Lord has done here. And I can't help but say, oh Lord, you work wonderfully. Oh Lord, your work is mysterious and glorious. I thank God for the people that he has led here to this congregation. And even despite the failure of the work in the Berkshires many years ago, I was thrilled to sit in a living room to see two small children at that point and to sit with a young man and his wife and another young man and rejoice together in the things of the Lord and how the Lord had grown, their, grown them in the Christian faith and how they had become different in the course of the, their lives and uh, had come to be convicted about the things of the Lord and desired a solid Bible-believing church. And, and now here they are, and haven't looked back. One is our church treasurer. The other puts us on the computer and on the Internet every week. And very beloved and important part of this congregation, all of them. Or I think of you. I think of years ago when I was convicted by the Lord to start in some way to, to build relationships in the community in which we live. And so I began going to, even though there are other cleaners in other places, I wanted to go to that cleaner up the street. I went in and there was a man who was working hard every week. And it was hard to get talking to him because the initial stages he was busy. He was always running, running, working, working, working. He was a busy man. And then one day I made sure that I would wear my, 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 my pin that was from the, uh, my, my ID from Bay State Hospital. So it says pastor on it. And one day, finally, after many attempts and conversation and time, the Lord lifted this man's eyes and enabled him to look and he said, oh, Pastor, you're a pastor? And that was my dear friend Noah. And here is this wonderful family and their beautiful children I would never know them unless the Lord led me in a, to do a small thing and to go into into the cleaners up the street. And that, you know, they've been instrumental in so many works of ministry in this church, not the least of which Noah had a hand in meeting the person who would enable us to find and rent this facility on Sunday mornings. It, it's remarkable how God works, isn't it? It's remarkable how God works. It's remarkable how God is using you. And you, to build his church. And you have no idea the impact of the work that you do because God is pleased to make use of it because 1,000 years to him is like one day. And so for you and for me, we look at 60, 70, 80, 90 years and we say, it's a long life. What have I done? We might be inclined to look back over the course of our lives and say, I, I've failed. What have I done? What what fruit-bearing in my life is evident for all to see? Will I stand before the Lord and be ashamed? I've shared the Gospel with a few people. I've got a handful of friends who know the Lord. I've gone to church each week, but what have I done for the King of kings, the Lord of glory? Our God is a God who loves and delights in doing extraordinarily more through our small things that we do for him that our minds simply cannot contain nor understand. The Lord has raised up families and children who believe in Christ because of you. The Lord has raised up little ones in the congregation because you've taught Sunday school or you have taken them into your home and befriended them. The Lord has used you in some way to steal the backbone of a young man or a young woman and, and to stand up straight in the world and believe in Christ and, and not forsake the Lord when faced with pressures because you are an example to them. The Lord has used what little you have put into the plate on Sunday mornings and the bills were paid and the church existed and the work of the ministry went on because the Lord was pleased to take small things And he was pleased with the small things that you have done for him. It's not an excuse to be stingy with the Lord in any way, whether in the use of our gifts and of whatever form they may take. But in recognizing how very small we are, we need to recognize also that God, our great and our big and our glorious and beautiful God is pleased to do and he loves he is pleased to work his work through small things. Zechariah says that we should not despise the day of doing small things. He is patient enough the Lord is to endure and to build his kingdom over his kingdom over centuries so that one day in the final culmination of all things the world will be resplendent and filled with the glory of God. That is the eventual goal. And until that day comes He is using small things and mustard seeds to do extraordinary things that will have a generational impact if we just serve the Lord faithfully. And so what do you do, dear friends? You serve the Lord. You begin the day with prayer. And then you go make breakfast for the children. You get up off of your knees, you go start the freezing car, you scrape the window, you go into work, you greet your co-workers, you sit down and you start doing what you do for your work. Because you know in your heart of hearts that that glorifies God. And you know that in the extraordinary, seemingly haphazardness of all of our days, there is a God who is ordering every circumstance to fall out according to his good and perfect will. That God will give you divine appointments that you may not even know. But he will use your days and he will use your small service. And the Lord will build his kingdom. You know, it's extraordinary the way the Lord has used men and women in our world today. William Carey went to India and he didn't see a convert for seven years. But God is pleased there are millions of Christians in India, and William Carey began that work. William Chalmers Burns was one of the first missionaries to China, and he scarcely ever saw any one person ever converted, and yet half, half the nation is, is Christian and worships the Lord Jesus Christ. A Welsh missionary by the name of Robert Thomas went to Korea, and he died on the beach. He was killed. But today there are Christian there are Christians all over both North and South Korea. These are largely Christian nations despite Kim jong-un and Kim Jong-il and their best attempts to stifle Christianity. In fact the, the South Korean Church is sending missionaries all over the world. It's extraordinary. Mustard seeds. The kingdom of God is also like leaven. It's like yeast. It's, it's like when mom pulls out that little package of yeast and puts it into the flour. And then next thing you know, you have bread with all the little pleasant holes that makes it so spongy and delicious and soft. And Zechariah says, don't despise the day of small things. Well, he also says in Zechariah 4, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I'm here to tell you, in light of what Christ says, that where the spirit of God is evident, the work of the spirit may not be discerned, but it will have its good and necessary effect. The word of God never returns to him void and the godly Christian will never, ever fail for he and she will be sustained until the very last by the power of God. You know, it's it's not by might, nor is it by power, nor is it by the machinations of mankind that the kingdom of God and the Christian Church thrives. Friedrich Schleiermacher looked around his world in German in, in German higher critical uh, days of the late 18th century, early 19th century, and he was determined that what, what Christianity needed was a reinvention of, of their ideals and uh, to become more appealing to the world. And so what he did was he, he made it far more about emotion. He's the father of liberal Christianity today. And he wrote something called, a, a, and I forget the first part of it, but, but a, a or a series of treaties or, or questions or statements to, to Christianity's detractors or Christianity's modern detractors. In leading people into a a more feelings-based and mystical approach to Christ, he led people ultimately away from Christ. And he is the father of the modern liberal churches today that have no fruit over which the doors are, are declared Ichabod, for the glory of the Lord has departed these congregations. They have no use for the word of God. They do a great program and they have a wonderful fall festival. But the power of Jesus Christ is not present there. And the word of God is not lifted up against the world. You know, Christianity and of serving Christ seems so feeble. Where it would begin it would be in that upper room and then eventually it would spill out under the streets as as the spirit of God fell upon them and. Peter preaches and proclaims the word of God, and thousands are added to the number daily of those who believe. It was God. It was God at work. It was God at work through them and in them? Well, Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews, a, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. It's foolishness, and yet God has been pleased. To carry out his word and his will. And there are many, many, many millions of believing Christians in our world today. Because a mustard seed was cast out into the dirt. Because a bit of yeast was poured into the dough. Now, I want to make a practical application for all of you from this text and for me this morning. We've been living the Christian life, many of us, for a long time. And many of us have come to through the course of our days and and we have been living for the Lord. And we we look around us and we look at other Christians and maybe we look at other believers and say "They are so much more mature than I am. And I look at my life and I've gone through so much and I've had so many opportunities that the Lord has given to me. And yet here I am. I am still struggling with besetting sins. I am still struggling so much to live as a believer in the world. And when I have an opportunity to share the gospel, I stammer and I struggle. And and memorizing scripture is still so hard for me, and yet others seem to do it so well. I look at the course of my life, and I, I don't know what the Lord will ever do with the seed that I've planted in my children. And I don't know if the Lord will ever bring my Their fruit to bear. Maybe the Lord will never be pleased to bring my children into the kingdom of God, but if I were a better Christian, surely they would they would be fervent for the Lord. And if I were a better Christian, surely all my co workers would come to faith in Christ. And if I were a better servant of the Lord, I'd have better relationships. I wouldn't have so much conflict. I wouldn't be so alone. Well, the kingdom of God is like a tiny little mustard seed. And the kingdom of God is is like yeast. You know, the work of sanctification of the spirit and his presence in us and applying the work of Christ in us is exactly like those two things. The kingdom of God, we often think on a meta scale, but it's also in a micro application too. it's for you and for me. It's about as demonstrated in that woman in chapter thirteen verses ten through 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 seventeen. Jesus knew that the kingdom was that Satan had dominated this woman physically with an illness that had oppressed her for eighteen years, and Jesus freed her from that oppression. Do you know he is progressively little by little freeing you from the same? Little by little, he has delivered you from the kingdom of Satan, but he is freeing you from the influence of Satan, enabling you more and more to grow in righteousness, increase in righteousness and holiness, and to put sin to death, little by little, day by day. You're growing up and you're maturing and you're learning and... And yet you you'd say I'm still so disappointed, and I feel my life myself to be an utter failure because sin so easily entangles me, and the good that I would do I don't do, and the evil that I would not do I do. Well, that was Paul's experience in Romans seven too, and that's the experience of most Christians. And maybe you're discouraged, you're fearful. You're weary, and Satan tells you, surely you're not a believer at all, because you you think like this, and you act like this, and you do these things. That's why we need to hear, for a fact, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. In Romans chapter 8, it describes the chain of, of our salvation, the order of salutis, as it were. And it eventually reaches, it begins with, with, with election and calling and regeneration and conversion, adoption. And, and, and there is this wonderful process of sanctification that will eventually result in glorification. That means that God, the glorious God whom we serve, and His Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we believe... Is about the work of of sanctifying you. In other words, you're not complete, you're not finished, but the finishing product, the finished product, will eventually one day be shown for all that it is. God, who is at work in you, is sanctifying you little by little every single day. And even the recognition that you're not what you ought to be is in itself a bearing of fruit of a work of the Holy Spirit in you. We say it in a trite sort of way, but it's not trite. The Lord is not finished with you yet. The Lord is at work in you, both to will and to do His His good will, and that what that which He has begun in you, He will bring to completion. The Lord will sanctify you completely in your inner person, and He will bring you before His very presence with great joy. It's a great encouragement to the believer to know that the kingdom of God and the work of Christ in our soul is like leaven. It will have its good effect and nothing can stop it from having its good effect because God himself is behind all of it. We can look at our lives and we can say our lives are a failure. And yet we cannot, because by faith we understand that the Lord is at work in us. Are we ever jealous of other people, and we are jealous of how they seem to succeed in the Christian life? We we don't need to be jealous, and we need to learn that we will grow precisely in what ways, and in God's time, according to what he has purposed. The gospel that God has given to you is one which will never fail. It will yield its good effects in your life and you will be brought into his presence completely transformed by his grace. The things we do and the things that we say in the Christian life, those seemingly insignificant and ineffectual and the advances that we make in, in, in our process of sanctification seem so minor and yet they are not insignificant. They are not ineffectual but they are of eternal significance in God himself is building his kingdom. And in us, even in our hearts, he is at work refining and building his kingdom individual by individual, and he will cause us to bear fruit. We see so little results of all that we do. We don't have eyes to see the next hundred years of the effects of our labor. But we need to remember that in the day-to-day and in the minutia of the Christian life, what we do advances in some way the glory of God. And so we should take heart. God is great. And even though the work that we do seems so insignificant, he will not permit your life to be unfruitful. God will not fail in completing the work that he has begun in you. May God be pleased to give us greater faith and eyes to see. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we give thanks to you that you have not finished with us. You have not failed. Your work has not ceased. Your word can never fail. For you are a glorious God and you do all your holy will. Lord, we pray that you would help us to believe. Give us greater faith. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that you would help us to see that the kingdom of God is advancing in the world. Help us not to despise small things, but to rejoice that you have given us a part in being a part of a congregation that is faithful to the word of God, that believes in singing, preaching, praying, proclaiming, reading the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to not be so much about numbers as we are about faithfulness. To be more deeply concerned, not about a show or a performance, but about whether or not the Word of God has rung true in our lives. To examine ourselves, as it says on the, one of the last pages of the bulletin, to be careful, to make certain that we are in the Lord. Help us, Lord, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but also to be rejoicing greatly in the God who is not finished with us yet and in the God who does extraordinary things through the beginnings of small things. Oh, Lord, do not withdraw your spirit from us, but be pleased, O God, to continue to advance the power of Christ in our lives, despite any beachheads that are raised up or any obstructions. Lord, we pray that you would not let anything obstruct your word. Accomplish in us what is pleasing in your sight. Continue that work in us which you have begun. O Holy Spirit of God, we yield to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me and sing what uh, what we gather together on page 8 of your worship bulletin? Yes, you